So we've been going through a series talking about the gifts of God, uh, particularly things, hopefully, that the eventual effect of this will be as we enter into a new uh, year before too long, that we will enter into that world grateful, peaceful, and thankful. Um, and that these are, as we think about the things that God's given us, it should certainly prompt that gratitude um, and, and that we can live in a, in a world that's uh, troublesome in many ways uh, with a smile on our face, with some joy in our heart, with some peace and contentment with the way things are, even though they're not the way we want them. We talked about the gift of grace. We talked about the gift of Jesus and looked at different aspects of what that gift is um, and things that Jesus does for us. And today we're going to look at another gift, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says, and Peter said, this is another one of those sermons. Now, uh, before I even read this, y'all can be reading it while I'm putting this out. Sometimes there's things that go on while we're here that if you don't know, you don't know. Um, and so I'm kind of amazed sometimes just because of where I sit. I, I get a perspective that kind of amazes me. Um, to maybe the untrained eye, you would have thought the scripture reading that you read today, where you read and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that that was planned out, that we would read that scripture on this day when I'm preaching about the gift of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't. <laughs> The, the, those scripture readings, uh, Randy divvied them up months ago and gave these guys uh, a chart to read. And the fact that we read about people receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit on the same day we're preaching on the gift of the Holy Spirit just makes me think maybe the gift of the Holy Spirit's here. Uh, that he's doing things beyond our even seeing that he organizes and, and relates these things. Last week, we preached on the Christ. We wrote the candle of the Christ, uh, the candle of Jesus, and we were preaching on the gift of Jesus. Again, I think God even orchestrates our time and, and shows himself in little ways. And I, I often see that, and I just kind of want to recognize and be grateful uh, for God's planning that far exceeds any of ours. But that's not the first time Peter said that about receiving the gift of the Spirit. Peter realizes that the Holy Spirit is a gift. At the end of his very first sermon in Acts chapter 2, the first time he preaches to people, um, he, he tells them the gospel about who Jesus is. And it talks about they're, they're cut to the quick. They're, they're, their heart is really stirred with him. And they're like, what shall we do, Peter? What's, what are we going to do about what you just told us? And this is Peter's answer. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, first of all, just understand that the Holy Spirit is a gift of God. That us having Him, that this is one of the gifts that God gives us, is the Holy Spirit. In Acts, the next verse, so if you've turned, I forgot to tell you, I'll turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 38. These are kind of our launching verses today. So he tells them to receive this gift, or if they repent and they're baptized, that they will receive this gift. God has this good gift that he wants to give them, the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on in verse 39, it says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone who comes to the Lord our God calls to himself. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And what he points out in this verse is that the gift of the Holy Spirit is actually a promise. It's a promise to give. Um, that, uh, that 
God fulfills one of his promises, or actually we're going to see about five different promises that God fulfills in the Holy Spirit. That God makes a number of promises to his people, and the gift of the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of many of those promises. And, and they're good promises, and, and he helps us fill those. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today is how receiving this gift is this promise that God had told them that they would receive this. He actually told the disciples to go wait. The gift's going to come, and we celebrate in the spring, we'll celebrate the Pentecost, the, the 50 days after Easter, when the gift, the promise of the Holy Spirit was fulfilled, and it came. But there's other promises that God fills through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So number one. The promise of companionship. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus closes out the book of Matthew, and we often concentrate on these verses. These are important verses, especially to us as Baptists, as people, the, the Matthew chapter 28. Uh, verses 19 and 20, they are the heartbeat of the International Mission Board of the IMB. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the whole, of Jesus, of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, most of the time when we talk about these verses, we talk about that first part, you know, go, baptize, teach. And that's where we, and then, and then, You'll even, when people repeat it, which, and when you hear me repeat it, I'll often say, you know, I'll really be stressing that first part, and I'll be with you to the end of age. And we just kind of throw that last little bit out there, kind of like that's the, the ending of this thing. And we don't really talk about, oh, and lo, I'll be with you to the end of the age very much. This is a promise of God that I am going to be with you no matter what. That's that's the promise. I, 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 Jesus in, chapter, in John chapter 14, when he's getting ready to leave his disciples and he's preparing them for his eventual departure, he makes another promise to them particularly. He says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'm not going to abandon you. And so God makes this promise to his people not to leave them alone. And that's really the promise that he won't, that we won't be left alone. That God's going to be with us. He's, even to the end of the age, I won't abandon you. I'm not going to give you up as orphans. We find out in the book of Genesis when God made man, the one time in all the book of Genesis or in the first part of the book of Genesis, God says, it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. When we look at Genesis chapter 3, God says, it's not good for you to be alone. You were made for community, and it's not good. In Ecclesiastes, one of the passages I used for uh, our wedding vows, it says, two are better than one. You know, it's not good for us to be alone. And God makes a wonderful promise. I will never, I will be with you to the end of the age. I will not abandon you. I will not forsake you. I'm going to stick with you. What a wonderful promise. One of the interesting things um, that, that I find difficult to minister at this time of year. For a portion of us, this is Christmas. <sighs> Joy. Happiness anticipation, the spirit of Christmas, right? We hear all this kind of, you know, fa-la-la-la-la everywhere we go, and we're all so excited, and we can barely hold, our, hold ourselves together. This is the week we've been waiting for. 
We've been waiting 51 weeks for this one to come up, right? And then there's a population among us who this week is the darkest week of the year. And they've seen this week coming, and they have been looking at it with dread, with heartbreak, with sadness. And this week can't go by fast enough for them. Oh, if it would just be over. Uh, how they long for the 26th. Because they feel alone or lonely. They're missing special relationships that they've had all their life. For some, this will be the first Christmas they do without a spouse. For some, it will be the 25th Christmas they do without a spouse. And it will feel like the first one. And so there's in our, in our midst this great divide uh, uh, of people who, how do we deal with this great anticipation that is Christmas? Here's what I want to tell you. The promise of God that he will never leave and forsake us is fulfilled in the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And you may feel lonely, but you're not alone. You may feel lonely, but the promise of God fulfilled in the Holy Spirit is you are not alone. Thank God. Now, I want you to understand that in those moments when you're feeling that, you have to convince yourself, you have to remind yourself that God's a good God and he's fulfilled his promises. And for those of you who are struggling with this, maybe it's just you need to talk to God at those moments. When that loneliness is, he's near. He's close to the brokenhearted. And having a conversation with him at those moments would be particularly powerful. But for others of us, this is a ministry opportunity. This is a chance for us not to just realize that God's promised this, but to help God or partner with God in fulfilling his promise. So if you know those people in your life, this is a chance for you to reach out and minister to them. This is an opportunity to be the hands and feet, to be a physical representation of God in your life. I'm connected with you, brother or sister, and I want you to know you care. You're on my mind and know, and know that people notice and think and know what you're going through, and we care. For some of you, <laughs> I love it when we can flip this thing around, Jared. For some of you, you need to exercise that second greatest humility and ask. Ask your brothers and sisters, what are you doing on Christmas Eve? What are you doing on Christmas Day? There are willing hearts, but if you would but ask, we would be more than glad to open our doors to you. Sometimes we don't know how to bridge the gap any better than you know how to bridge the gap, right? And so it takes both humilities, the humility to give and to reach out for those who will be hurting. And then it takes the second humility to sometimes ask and say, I would really like to be with a brother or sister this season. This is one of the greatest opportunities. We are family and a chance for us to care for each other. God fulfills the promise in the Holy Spirit, but we can partner with him in a very physical way if we would just think about what other people are going through. The second promise, the promise of help and aid. This is from John's gospel. 
Jesus goes through a very lengthy uh, set of teachings on the coming of the Holy Spirit from John 14 through John 16. He, he kind of keeps talking about it. And in, and in John chapter 16, verse 7, he says this. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For, I do not, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. One of the promises, and this one blows my mind. I often try to put myself in the disciples' uh, shoes in this moment. Jesus comes up and says, guess what? I got good news for you. This is really going to be good for you. I'm leaving. <laughs> and, my, and my immediate reaction when I'm picturing myself is like, yeah, right. No, 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 no. You're doing what? You got to stay. You ain't going nowhere. Actually, that's kind of, in one place, that's kind of Peter's response, you know. Uh, like, if you're going to die, I'm going to die with you. I ain't leaving your side no matter what. But he makes this promise that something happens to our advantage, and he calls him the helper. That God makes this promise of continued aid. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm still going to be with you, and I'm still going to be here to help. I'm still going to be here to aid you. And, and in the following verses in that passage, he goes on to explain what that's like. Why is to your advantage? Never lay. I tell you the truth. I go away. The helper will come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because, God, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the, ru the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you. But you cannot hear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but he will, whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. And, and all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So a couple of things, at least two ways that the Spirit ages. Two ways God fulfills this promise of continued aid. He says the Spirit's there to convict us of righteousness and judgment and sin. That The Spirit is here to help us with right living. You want to know how to live right? You want to know how to live in a right relationship with God? You want to know what to do and when you should do it and how you should do it? The Spirit is there to help us. To know when we're doing wrong, to help us know when we're doing right, to help us understand the consequences of doing wrong and right, that's judgment. That he is there to help guide us into right living. Many of us are seeking to please God and be in a right relationship with him. And the Spirit does that. He helps us in that. Another help he gives us is he helps us with spiritual truth. To understand that, to comprehend it. I would argue that each and every Sunday here, the Spirit is working overtime to help us. One, to help me say something that has spiritual truth. You may think that comes from me. If I say anything that's spiritually true, that's the help of the Spirit. And I try to a lot of times when people say, well, that really spoke to me. I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> because he does that. And he's also helping you here. That's why at the bottom of our uh, little uh, worship thing on the bottom, it said, what did you hear? And what are you going to do about it? Because I believe the Spirit's here to help reveal truth to you. And because it amazes me, there's a lot of times people say, well, when you said that, and I go, 
I didn't say that. I don't know where you, what you heard, but I didn't say that. They hear that people hear things and pick up on things that I don't say. And I really, in many cases, believe that's the Spirit helping reveal to them the truth that they need to hear. Then the bigger question is left up to you. What are you going to do about what you heard? <laughs> but I do believe that the Spirit is here to help us. Uh, this isn't just an exercise in some kind of checking off a box or getting a gold star because of our attendance. But that we're here seeking the Spirit of truth to help us to understand how to live right and how to understand and gain spiritual truth that will affect our lives. And for that, we can be grateful. One of the other promises is the promise of liberty that God makes. Jesus says it this way in John's Gospel, the 8th chapter. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He makes this promise about when you come to this understanding of who I am, this is going to be freeing to you. Now, interestingly enough, in this passage in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the Hebrews, to some Jewish people, and they don't get what he's talking about. And they're like, they're like, what do you mean? We've never been slaves to anybody. We're, we're descendants of Abraham. I don't know what you're talking about. Be free. We've never been slaves. And Jesus kind of like, no, they're missing it. And it's true that uh, many of the Jewish people misunderstood this promise of liberty that God was making to them. They knew the Messiah was a liberator. It says so in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will be on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. This is why many people missed who Jesus was. They thought he was this, this Messiah that was going to set them free, give them liberty from the Romans, right? Uh, that he was going to reestablish the Jewish kingdom, the kingdom of David. And this was the freedom that they were anticipating, this, this cultural country uh, of freedom. But the freedom that, that the, the promise of freedom that Jesus is talking about is spiritual freedom. I'm going to set you free from your spiritual bondage. When you understand who I am and the truth of who I am, that I'm the Messiah who comes to liberate and set free the captives of sin and of death. And that's fulfilled in the Holy Spirit. It says this in Romans chapter 8. We have, I'm going to have to read this one to you. Write it down. Romans 8, starting with verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. In fact, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to God. 
back to that first verse. There is thou therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The freedom that Jesus was talking about, this freedom from the slavery to sin, the spiritual freedom that he said, when you know me and you know the truth, the truth will set you free. That's borne out by living in the spirit. There is no condemnation. And the spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. So three freedoms that we get by the spirit, we get free from the penalty of sin. Penalty of sin is death. As being separated God from all eternity and having the spirit in us is, is recognition that we have spiritual life and we've been set free from the penalty of sin. We don't have to die the second death. The other one is we're free from the power of sin. Sin and evilness is no longer our master. The most free and, and liberated people in all the world is the Christian. Who's not, only, who's not only free to do what they choose physically, but they're free to do what they choose spiritually. That we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. We can say no to sin. We can repent and turn from our sin and find forgiveness. That we are truly free from the power of sins over us. Those Jews that Jesus was originally talking to are like, we're not slaves. And he goes on to say, you're slaves of your sin and you don't even know your slavery. And the, first, and the last freedom is the freedom from the pressure of sin. What I mean by that is guilt. People who have this weighing down pressure on them because have I done enough to please God? Have I done enough to make God happy with me? Have I, have I done enough to cancel out my badness? What, what hope is for me? And when we realize who Jesus is and the gift of grace that he offers to us and the salvation that comes in his name and that we now live spiritually, we're freed from that pressure that we can enjoy a relationship with God and not wonder, have I made him happy? That he, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so living in the Spirit helps us understand the freedom that God intended us to have from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and even from that pressure of sin that we so often feel. We get to live a life of grace in the Spirit. Another promise that's fulfilled in the Holy Spirit is the promise of empowerment. Jesus makes a lot of promises that kind of blow, I think would blow, the, the disciples' minds as he meets with them. The first one is when he calls the first disciples, when he calls Peter, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? I wonder what Peter thought about that. Like, huh, what is that all about? A little later on in, in, in Luke's gospel, the 12th chapter, he's talking to the disciples and he says, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say for the Holy Spirit will teach you in the very hour, what you're going to say. Don't be anxious when you become before the authorities. I once had to serve jury duty. I was called in to serve jury duty. I was anxious just getting selected for jury duty or not. I was nervous, like you get marched in, you know, and I'm like, yes, sir, thank you. Am I supposed to say your honor? Am I not supposed to say your honor? I don't even know how to address this place. And then you just kind of stand up real quietly. I can't imagine how I would feel if I was in the accused chair, right, if I was being put on trial for my faith, and Jesus says, don't worry about it when they, when they take you to court, when they bring you before the synagogues. 
The Spirit's going to tell you what to say. Okay, right. Another promise he makes to them, and uh, this is in John 14. He's, get this, this is again when he's talking to them about leaving. He's like, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me shall do works that I do, and greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. He made a promise to the disciples they're going to do greater things than he did when he leaves. Okay, that's an interesting promise. And what I want you to know is I think through the Holy Spirit that God promises supernatural abilities. Now let me qualify that just a little bit. Not Superman type of supernatural. Not like, you know, Justice League supernatural heroes. Abilities beyond our nature. <laughs> Not flying and leaping buildings in a single bound kind of supernatural. But that we'll be able to do things that are beyond our personal natures. We'll be able to stand up in front of a group and lead singing, right? We'll be able to stand up in front of a group and preach a sermon. We'll be able to stand up in front of a group and say a prayer. Or we'll be able to show up just at the right moment and offer a kind word to someone in need. We'll, we'll be able to do many things beyond our natural abilities when we put ourselves out there. We'll be able to travel around the world. We'll be like a lady this morning who said, I never thought I'd learn another language, right? But now, here I am, the first Latino to go to India. That's beyond her natural ability, but because the Holy Spirit empowered her to do that, she did great things. She started an entire missionary that's training Latinos to go around the world. This little girl whose father was an alcoholic and who was a runaway when she was a child. Don't tell me that God won't empower you to do supernatural things. It's just supernatural. is beyond your, our natural ability to take someone, grow up in Clarion County, and send him around the world to be a missionary. A little quiet, Jerry. Amazing. We should be grateful for this promise. Luke 24, verse 44. Then he said to, the, said to them, this is the end of Luke's gospel, and he's talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He said, there are many words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything about the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are the witness of these things, in verse 49. And behold, I'm sending you, I'm sending the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit, upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power on high. If you know the story of the disciples, they're a ragtag group of fishermen and tax collectors and just kind of not the most sophisticated people in the world. Their master gets murdered on a cross. They lock themselves away in the upper room and they're hiding because they're afraid they're the next ones to get it. And they're waiting for a promise to come. And the promise comes upon them on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit, and they're empowered to go and change the world. Now, some 2,000 years later, here we sit in a little building in Clarion, Pennsylvania, 
and they didn't even know Pennsylvania existed. And here we are still worshiping the same God that that ragtag, scared little group of men, when empowered by the Holy Spirit, did something amazing. That's empowerment. And so I want you to know, if he can do it with them, we think highly of Peter and Matthew and Mark and John and Paul and those guys, and we rightly should. But know this, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, will empower you to do the task God has called you to do. He will give you also supernatural, beyond your natural abilities, to do whatever task he has laid at your feet. And the final promise fulfilled by the Holy Spirit is the promise of life. Romans 8 says this. This is verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. In the spirit of whom he raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. One of the great things that we must realize is that we have life. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, writes this, this book and he paints this picture. And he says, the world that we live is the shadow lands. This is, this is the shadow of real life. But that when we have the spirit, when we come to understand who Christ is, we start to live, live the real life that our life now takes meaning. And I just want you to understand, I once said not too long ago when I was describing the state of the world that we're living in a falling world simply waiting to die. Promises for us to live and be alive. That our living matters and is significant. We're not just waiting to die. That we are living life now. Our living is significant we can have a true impact on eternity. And the life we now live is life in Christ. We're not just waiting, but we're actually beginning. A very special kind of life. It's not just life that we have, it's life eternal. This is what we're beginning. And if you look through the history, if you look through our lives, we can see many of these promises fulfilled that, that the that the Spirit is there to aid us. The Spirit is there to be with us and comfort us, that we're not alone. The Spirit is there to give us power to do things beyond our natural ability. The Spirit has fulfilled these promises, and we find that the promises of God are true, and He promises us eternal life or life eternal. And the Spirit is the marker of that. If, 2 Corinthians 5 5, He who has prepared us for this very thing in God. For as he's given us the Spirit as a guarantee, Spirit's a down payment, a guarantee, so that we will always be of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him also you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. We're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
and succinctly for 2 Corinthians 1.22. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. A guarantee of life eternal. And so in these moments, we live with the promises that the Spirit's already fulfilled. And we live in the fulfillment that the Holy Spirit guarantees is yet to come. Life eternal. So let me encourage us all to strive to live our lives in order to affect eternity. Now think about that. You can have an effect, a change, an influence on eternity. The things we do can last forever if we do the things of God. And so let's strive to live in order to affect eternity. Let us ask these questions. How will this affect eternity? And that's why we have the Holy Spirit. So that we, we can do that. Because we say, well, that's really hard, right, to affect eternity. Well, that's why we have this great promise. So let me put it in one sentence for you. Holy Spirit is with us to help us experience spiritual freedom and to empower us to live with eternal purpose. What a good gift God's given us. To help us experience spiritual freedom and empower us to live with eternal purposes. The Lord has definitely given us good gifts.